Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Here in the Zendo and also online. Uh, on this, our very last Dharma talk of 2023. So I was asked to introduce our speaker uh, today. My name is Susan, and our speaker is Ross Blum. Ross has been a longtime resident here at Berkeley Zen Center. My feeling is that his dedication to this practice and to all who come through the gate of Berkeley Zen Center in the past and in the present <laughs> and in the future is a great source of encouragement and support and inspiration to many of us. Ross is the one who arranges all of the Dharma talks and way-seeking mind talks throughout the year. He also serves our Sangha in many ways, both hidden and revealed. And his present position is as the Eno. The Eno is the person who oversees the running of uh, the Zendo, the temple the forms, the practices, the Doan Ryo. And he does that through training people and modeling the practice and giving us some correction when we need it in his kind manner um, in an effort to harmonize in the Zendo and encourage us all to drop the small self. So. Put your hands in Gasho and help me welcome Ross. Thank you, Ross. Thank you kindly. Well, that's my talk for today. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. When I was um, Back in my home here, around the corner, uh, I received a text from our president, Karen Sunheim, who can't be with us today because she's not feeling well. well she's, in her words, exhausted from something or other. I'm sure it was something good. Anyway, she wanted to say something, and um, I said, well, I was going to introduce you, and you can unmute, and um, Tell people yourself. So, Karen, if you're there, could you unmute and um, let us know what was on your mind? Ross, um, I don't remember asking to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the Eno, and I know that uh, you wanted to. Okay. Thank you. I would like to wish everyone tranquil, refreshing 
interim after we close today and up until New Year's Eve when we reconvene. Um, please enjoy peace and rest and Happy New Year. Thank you for remembering. Today I am going to talk about birth and death. There's a fascicle of Dogen Zenji's in the Shoko Genzo called Shoji, birth and death. I arrived at Berkeley Zen Center because of a death. Richard Baker was the abbot at Zen Center in San Francisco and he had to abdicate his position as abbot and as a result of that uh, a lot of people left during that upheaval and death of the practice place and kind of unknown about what was going to happen next and one of the results of that karmically was norman and kathy fisher and their two children came uh, to have a sabbatical at Zen Community of New York, where I began practicing with Bernie Glassman 40 years ago, next month. I only knew about Maizumi Roshi lineage, which was Bernie's uh, teacher. I didn't know anything about Suzuki Roshi and this wonderful uh, Bay Area practice back there. I did have a copy of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, but uh, it didn't resonate the way it does now. So the short story is that I became aware of this lineage through Norman and Kathy and was reborn here. That's how I'm looking at birth and death. The last few years I've been thinking about death, my own death. I don't know of any particular illness that I have that I should be concerned that I'm going to be um, leaving you all soon. I just want to get through this another hour, 1130, and I, I feel like I'll have closure. <laughs> I heard a Tay show here years ago that Norman offered rather nonchalantly in a conversational tone like I'm speaking now. Uh, Taisho literally means presentation of the shout. So the old teachers in China and Japan would give a shout and they would loot, you know, this explosion and maybe some people woke up either from their drowsiness or something deeper. So Norman's Teisho was a simple statement that we die because we are born. Now everybody knows that. But the beautiful thing about Teisho 
is that it arrives from emptiness, which is just a spaciousness and vastness and potential, to world of form in we die because we're born. Meditation stops discursive thinking. When we are thinking discursively, which has a place in our life, figuring out things, figuring out ourselves, the stopping of that cuts through the separation of me thinking about something to just this. And the gap of self and other, self and a feeling of separate self, is extinguished. It isn't necessarily thunderclaps and lightning as we read in the in the scriptures. It can be as ordinary as we die because we're born. So birth and death, which is a typical translation, is apt, birth and death, they're joined together, one of these two things. But in our practice, we suffer because of the separation, this and that, me and you, hot and cold. So on the relative side of things, those descriptions have a place. And if we look into our discomfort, our doubts and questions about why the hell is my life so miserable? We can look at this separation and dualistic thinking and feeling of separateness, which is why we came through the gate. Now, when I told Sojin Roshi, uh, the reason I came to practice was looking for romance. And I got a, he chuckled and said, I don't think that's right. Um, and at the time, um, I thought he was mistaken. Because that's what I really wanted in my life. The main thing I wanted in my life. I just wanted to be in a romantic relationship. And so, uh, then I was feeling separate and desirous of that thing, relationship. So over the years, I sat here and studied here and conversed with people and engaged with people and was happy and sad and all the usual things that happened in life. And then uh, my wife at the time and I uh, went through a divorce. So from my happiness of no gap, I've been in a romantic relationship for all those years, to suddenly, what the, uh-oh. Hmm. I'm here because we're romance, I thought, and I'm still here, and my romance went away. So what the hell am I gonna do now? Well, I went into the Dokasan hut, a corner building on the property, for those who might not know, 
And I went to Sojin and I said, uh, Sojin talked about what had just happened, which of course he was privy to. And he said, well, now you have an opportunity to practice being alone. Well, that wasn't what I wanted to hear, but that's the appropriate response of a teacher, Dharma teacher, who is here not to be my friend and pat me on the back, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, et cetera, et cetera, which has a place when we're with our friends. But a Dharma teacher is to bring you back to practice and to work on closing the gap and the feeling of separation that causes the discomfort and suffering. So I worked on that for some years. So birth and death and suffering or discomfort, it's all about the first noble truth. Life is unsatisfactory, upsetting, some sense of separation and discomfort. Life is suffering. Well, that doesn't sound too appealing to um, investigate. Who wants to investigate discomfort and suffering? when you're living it, when I'm living it. Well, there's another way of looking at um, the first noble truth. And Kaz, his, his translation, birth and death, he put hyphens in between birth and death, which views it as one thing. Birth, death. So, in closing that gap of separation, birth and death, and seeing birth, death, feeling birth, death, was it sad that Richard had to abdicate? Abbasy? Well, in some ways, yes. Some ways, no. For me, the result of that death was my rebirth here. So, birth death, intimately, intimately related. We talk about them separately, but It's not one Buddha bowl, and it's not two Buddha bowls. It's just this. Uh, this Buddha bowl was part of a set of three bowls that I use for Oriyoki meals, four meals in the Zendo, and they were made by my former wife, Baika. Plum blossom. And I really cherish these bowls. And uh, they were inadvertently knocked off uh, the table at the server's seat uh, at upstairs many years ago by a concerned uh, resident of that apartment at the time because a cat had jumped up on there and they were concerned that a cat would do something. Well, 
the cat can take care of itself. That person knocked the bowls on the, on the ground. And she gave me back my bowls and wrapped up in cloth. And there was a sound of shit. Hmm. And so uh, I opened them up. And there they are. Two bowls, the inner bowls, all solid, cool, round circles. And this, this one. I can't eat out of this anymore, but uh, it was during Rahatsu, and I um, made an offering to Buddha because the resident upstairs didn't knock the bowls off the uh, table. Buddha knocked the bowls off the table. Just as when Soji was selling the Makugyo, as a young student at Sokoji, an aspire was coming closer and closer to where he was meeting the uh, Makugyo with his beater. And uh, Spider dies, and he was talking to Suzuki Roshi about it, that you know he didn't want to miss the beat, and, and the spiders came and boom. Suzuki Roshi said, you didn't kill it. Buddha killed it. So what does that mean? Buddha dropped the bowls or knocked the bowls off. Buddha killed the uh, spider. Well, Buddha is represents the harmony of the horizontal and the vertical. It's all one thing, and it's many different things. Yes, Sojin had the striker. Yes, this person knocked the bowls off. But the harmony of that the closing the gap of that dissonance and upset is it's Buddha causing conditions. Not a personal thing. I'm such a bad person. Not a personal thing. It's causing conditions that make you a bad person. You're okay as you are. I'm okay as I am. So in that apartment lived Dolly Gotozi long time sincere practitioner and she died up there and shortly after she died this bowl appeared in the community room now I don't know if it was hers but it was in the community room um, kitchen on the shelf there I'd never seen it before and so I took it <laughs> and now it's my Buddha bowl. But of course, uh, one of these days when I um, die, somebody will go through my apartment and pick out different things most likely to take as mementos of Ross's this and Ross's that. And this bowl will be reborn in someone else's Oriyoki set, maybe? Who knows? But the, the moral of the story is uh, things disintegrate and things reintegrate. And that continuity of life and practice is what liberates us. Because the disintegration of a marriage and the reintegration or the rebirth of this is profound. 
Now, I would not have checked off on a box. How do you want to learn about awakening? Nothing one suffering. And nirvana. I wouldn't have checked off, get a divorce. But that's what I learned uh, over those years. And when Soji Roshi asked Suzuki Roshi, what is nirvana? He said, and I hear there's a book out now with that title, following one thing through to the end. So when Soji Roshi said, you get to practice being alone now, or at one now, that's what I did. It was the hell realm. I remember being the Fukudo, sounding the Makugyo, and like, what could I do to get rid of this discontent and keep the beat? There was no spider, just my mind that was distracting me. And I looked at the little designs on the uh, Hashiki and kind of kept focused on them. Boom, 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 boom. It's a beat. And I got through that. When I was at Pete's working over the counter and in this uh, dark lament, I would go to the bathroom and cry. And then I would go out, up back up to the counter and say, next in line, please. One source of suffering and discontent is looking at time discontinuously, relative time. So if I would go into the whys and wherefores, why am I so upset? Why am I so happy? That's kind of picking up little bits of time and creating a story, Ross's story. But in continuous time, it's just the flow of one thing to another. A little bit from our ancestor. Suzuki Roshi says, in this way, I'm sorry, our life is momentary, discontinuous time, and at the same time, each moment includes its own past and future. It's a continuous time, just the flow of life. In this way, our momentary and eternal life will continue. This is how we actually lead our everyday life, how we enjoy our everyday life, and how we have freedom from various difficulties. I was sick in bed for a long time, and I was thinking about those things. I was just practicing Zazen in bed. I should enjoy being in bed, laughing. Sometimes it was difficult, but then I laughed at myself. Why is it so difficult? Why don't you enjoy your difficulties? When I read that, it reminded me of uh, his coming up to Sojin Roshi once and saying, just being alive is enough. We're alive because we're born, and that's enough, just as a baseline. But then we start thinking and separating, and then we, 
go to Berkeley Zen Center and figure it out. So Dogen writes, because a Buddha is in or at one with birth and death, there is no birth and death. It is also said, because a Buddha is not in birth and death, a Buddha is not deluded by birth and death, which is a many and relative perspective of things. So, if we're at one with the separation and, and duality of birth, death, hot, cold, good, bad, attractive, ugly, if we're at one with that, we don't see any difference. It's just what's in front of us. And we do not suffer. But if we are separate from it, then we have this opportunity to pick and choose and judge. So how do those two go together? Well, they go together in the circle of Buddha. The uh, aura or halo around Buddha's head on the sculpture there is a way to kind of remember that as all together and more closer to home, you know, the mudra that we use, lightly touching thumb tips, if you hold everything together, the dark and the light. Years ago, I was in New York City on the subway, and my friend and I got in the car, and there was nobody in the car. It's kind of odd. And then it started getting warm, and then it started getting hot. The air conditioning was not working. And we looked down the other car through the window of the door, and it was crowded. So. There's some smart people get, get to the cool place. So my friends in the go. I said, no, I'm sitting here. So, you know, upright posture, breathing, inhale, exhale. Eyes lowered. You can use all that anywhere. Suzuki Oshu was doing it in his bed, and I was doing it in the subway. And then the heat went away. There was no longer any hot or cold. Well, how did that happen? We breathe in and we take in the universe. Little gap between we exhale and let go of the universe. So we birth or we are birthed by the phenomenal world and we express or offer death, letting go of the world in our exhalation. And as Sojin Roshi said, if you want to know about birth and death, practice Zazen, because we're practicing for our uh, death every moment with this inhalation of accepting and holding on to things and letting go of all things. And if we don't let go, if we do not exhale, we will continue to suffer. 
And the closest that we come to that in respiration is when our breathing gets short. So this is a somatic practice. It's not about figuring things out in our mind. It's about bringing the zazen focus into the hara, where we hold our mudra. And if the breathing is round, full, in the cycle, then the gap of inhalation, exhalation, being born, dying, becomes one continuous flow. And I've heard it said that people who practice sincerely and have this kind of experience, when they die, they don't struggle so much. Perhaps so. But I'm taking it on faith that there's something to this. Because after 40 years, my birthing of problems that have caused me much duress and discontent from time to time have been extinguished or understood and incorporated in a different way from this uh, continuous practice. When Soja Roshi died, January 7th, 2021, Hosan asked me to come down and sound the Densho bell, which is hanging right uh, by Susan. So I bowed, lifted the striker off the beam, had the clock that's in front of Margot beside me, and ding, ding, to start the rounds. Once a minute, bong. Um, um. And we had a computer up, set up so people could hear online what was happening in here. It's a traditional thing to sound 108 bells when a uh, teacher dies. And we've done that for students who aren't teachers and teachers who, who are not students. Anyway, uh, within a little bit of time, uh, Cold was birthed at my feet. I started feeling cold. Where'd that come from? Oh, right. It's wintertime. I'm sounding bells. And bells are sounding me. And here is this cold. What to do? I went from no separation of just to I'm uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable. There's separation for you. So I looked over to support cushions, those square cushions that you see. I could put one of those down and get my feet warm. And then I thought about Soja Roshi being in Tassahara in a huge snow storm. And there was no food, and he fashioned, uh, along with Reb, some snowshoes out of tires and climbed out of Tassahara to bring food back to the students there. 14-mile trek in the snow, probably cold, on his feet. And I thought, well, if my teacher can do that, I sure as hell can stand here for 108 minutes and 
and cold feet. And as you might imagine, after a while, the cold went away. And that was that. Uh, Dung Shan Ryokai, or Dung Shan Liang Che, Chinese, Dung Shan Ryokai, is the uh, founder of our Soto Temple practice from China. And there's a story in his record that speaks to this. A monk asked, how does one escape hot and cold? Dozan responds, why not go where it is neither hot nor cold, said the master. Students perplex. What sort of place is neither hot nor cold, asked the monk. When it's cold, you freeze to death. When it's hot, you swelter to death. In other words, when you feel hot and cold, you're separate. And of course, if I'm cold, I'm going to put on a jacket. There's nothing wrong with putting on a jacket to get warm. But the deeper question is, where is the cold and where is my response to that cold? So Jiroshi said, the greatest suffering is not understanding birth and death and developing stories from discontinuous time. What is the story of continuous time? Dogen Soji, Dogen's Soji, birth and death, isn't a straight line as we think birth to death. It's more of a circle, all-inclusive circle that you can see in a Tibetan uh, Wheel of Life, how our life is going around in a circle. So it's all included no matter what's going on. Now, it took me uh, a couple of years to feel settled here. I was missing, I was missing New York. I was missing the seasons and the snow and cold and didn't miss, I didn't miss the uh, humidity and the heat. But nevertheless, uh, I was missing New York. And uh, there was a, a trainee here in the Zendo some years ago, and something came up, and I raised my hand. I said, Soji Roshi, you know, in New York, we blah, 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 blah. And he said, forget New York. So that was... That was a T-show. That was a, uh, a way for me to uh, be present and not be separate. And where half of my being was in New York and half of my being was here. Probably three quarters of my being was in New York and a quarter was here. But nevertheless, that was that. And in this... Um, cutting off my discursive thinking and desires to be elsewhere, Manjushri's sword cuts through delusion, 
and comes back up and something is birthed because birth and death go together. They're not separate. <clears throat> death and what's results? Birth. And if a um, kiyosaku or stick or a sword is a little bit too hard on the sensibilities, a well-placed word or two, like forget New York, has the same effect. It's a call from emptiness. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. This was a meditation I learned for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tejos typically are thought of as an expression of non-duality from his ambassador. And they take other forms like plum blossoms. So I received this card today of plum blossoms on a branch, Japanese plum blossoms. Nice little greeting inside. Thank you very much person who presented it to me. And I um, woke up to something when I saw these plums this morning and a memory of uh, being in Kinhan, which is walking meditation here, well, wherever you're doing it. I happen to be doing it during a five days machine walking down this aisle here. So I'm walking down that aisle upright, and my eyes are lowered as directed. And I happen to catch a picture out that window frame. And that picture was uh, the plum tree, which used to be there, the temple's named after it, and um, some blossoms flying around. And I composed a poem of this um, experience. Longing for the snowflakes of my ancestral home, there in the Zendo window, a flurry of plum blossoms. Dogen Zenji has a fascicle at Shobogenzo called Baika, Plum Blossoms. And the, one of my favorite lines in that fascicle is Plum Blossoms are the plum tree's offering. And the blossoms represent awakening. Well, where is home, ancestral home? Sojin often said, or asked that question, where's home? Where's your home? Office. Over there on Oregon Street or back in New York. Well, from a practice place, home is here. And he would point to his Hara breathing center. You're always home if you're connected somatically 
into your body, not up here thinking about, I want to be in New York. Now I love New York, it's my favorite place on the planet. However, here's, here's a pretty, pretty favorite place too. Suzuki Roshi says, mind follows breath into the body. So it's bringing the mental activity above the neck into the body. Or as um, Paul Disco said, Japanese Zen is from the neck down. American Zen is from the neck up. Oh, um, I was thinking about inspiration, taking in the universe, and expiration, exhaling. And I was thinking about expiring, and what, what expires when we, uh, when we die? And I thought about uh, parking spots. In a, I don't drive a car, I haven't driven in years, um, but we have parking meters. And we plant ourselves somewhere in our parking spot on this chair, wherever, and we put money in, we invest some time in the meter, and then I'm gonna park here. And then the meter expires. Well now, what happens when the meter expires? I wanna stay here longer, or I gotta go. So if we, practice expiration and letting go, then when it's time for us to go, I believe we'll have an easier time of it. And if we resist, if we want to put more money in the meter to stay around longer, I think we're going to suffer. I think I'm going to suffer if I try to do that. And it's interesting about wanting to stay around and wanting to get the hell out. When things are good, I want this party to continue going. And when this party's not so good, I want to get the hell out of here. So that's our, you know, our mind wanting to be comfortable and joyful. That's completely natural. <coughs> we don't really have a choice. Einstein's last words were purported to be, I have done my share, it's time to go. Someone told me once I should blow my nose, you know? After 67 years, I still haven't learned to do that. I learned how to do it. I just like to do that. Um, another Tejo for your contemplation of how things that are separate and how we think about death and birth. A Sangha member was at a rug shop some years ago, and Soji Roshi came in. He was rather fond of rugs. And the student said, 
you know, I'm going to die. I don't need to buy a rug. Now, there's a practical place for that. Of course, you know, I'm not going to be here very long, probably. So what I want to buy something is accumulate something. So that's discontinuous time. Soja Roshi, who was considerably older than this person, said, you know, I'm going to die, and I'm going to buy a rug. <laughs> because the only time that we have is now. Start thinking about, I'm going to die. I might do something differently. I might hold back. But living full on, moment by moment, is the teaching, is the teaching. And I don't know what happened with the students' understanding about uh, the practice and all that, but nevertheless, uh, that story really resonated for me. There's a koan, Sante's Buddha, Moonface Buddha, and that koan basically is speaking about whether you live for one day or a thousand years, it doesn't matter. You live fully, and that's what counts. So how do we live fully without worrying about how many more years do I have? What is birth? What ideation is birth thinking about death? Oh my God, I don't want to suffer. Well, neither do I. How much time do I have left? All those things. These are kind of the perennial issues that come up for people. And when Soja was asked, has your ideas or understanding about death changed since you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer? He said, no. We're all going to die. Everybody does it. What can I do about it? Just continue living my life fully. And that's what he did up to the end. And the end is the beginning, because with his death, I feel his presence even more here. I hear his words even more deeply now. I feel encouraged and inspired to continue to practice forever with his death. And people who uh, wonder how that be, well, I don't know how it works, but that's how I feel. I had lunch with Jerry Oliva, hey Jerry, some years ago, and, and we were talking over lunch saying, let's, let's continue supporting this practice at Berkeley Zen Center for the rest of our lives. I said, yeah, let's do that. And that's what we do. And we stumble, and we get up, and we continue supporting the practice here. In the Heart Sutra, it says, All dharmas are marked by emptiness. Integrating into form and disintegrating into emptiness. 
Fran Tribe was the first president of Berkeley Zen Center many, many, many years ago. Her memorial stone is in the back garden. She and her husband, Al, were long-time, old-time practitioners and supported their practice. So uh, she was in the hospital toward near the end of her life. And a friend of mine, I visited her with a friend, and uh, then my friend visited her alone sometime after that. And I remembered that hearing about that conversation, I contacted my friend, and I said, you know, what did, what did Fran say? I want to put it in my talk. And she wrote me. In the hospital at the end of this life, she said, the skandhas are coming apart. And she cried. Her tears seemed to be less about the loss and more about the understanding the skandhas in a deep way in the beauty of realization. So is death sad? Yeah. In closing, uh, one more story of, around Soja Motion, when he was talking about uh, conducting memorial services and funerals. And he said, these ceremonies in death it's not awful, it's awesome. It's awesome. The life lived, a life dies, and it continues. That is awesome. And Uh, to return to Karen's question to me during Rahatsu's question about how was it for you with Sweet Pea, the temple cat who I took care of for a while, five and a half years, and died. It was awful. And it was awesome. She and Rocky are buried underneath the chairs by my apartment near the Dokosan hut. So when you go by, uh, in your heart, outside you can bow to those sweet cats who enrich my life and enrich those who touch them. Thank you very much. And we got a couple minutes for questions or comments online or in person. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ross. <laughs> uh, Ross, thank you so much for your talk. Um, you shared a couple deep experiences of loss, like for instance, with your divorce and practicing with that. Um, 
Do you have any words or guidance around how to practice with sort of where the loss of the suffering is something I do, some mistake I make, some failure I make. Some mistake that you make? That's the yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I thought I had it. Come back. Um, there's big losses that occur where we don't, we're not the cause. So we have to sit with them in some way. And then there's trouble we cause ourselves. And is there a different way to deal with that? Yes. My Ukrainian grandmother, who came over in the early 20th century, uh, offered me two teachings. One was her motto bread, which people have eaten from time to time here when I made them, her recipe. And the other saying, which is kind of old-fashioned, but it seems apt for this, if you watch the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And my take on that is, if we take care, if we take care of this person, the so-called other will be taken care of. And it doesn't mean that there won't be any discomfort, any suffering, and tragedy, and all of that. But in the taking care of of this person, uh, as I did in the midst of those things, I mean, who caused the divorce? Who caused the, I mean, is this, is this a blame thing? Who caused the uh, situation in the Middle East? Well, it's ancient, ancient tangled karma, which we uh, did our, we recited our Bodhisattva ceremony. So I believe the best investment is watching pennies. Thank you, Ben. Um, I'm um, conscious of the time. It's time to go. If there's, I don't see any virtual hands to give the onliners an opportunity, but uh, we'll continue to practice forever. So I'm bound to run into you. Here or there. Um, there's a celebration coming outside, I heard. So let's go to it. <laughs>